Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the latest 9320 World Cup podcast. Looking back at England's pre-season friendly versus Belgium last night and forward also to the knockout stages and looking back at all of round three and anything else besides. Uh, delighted to be joined today by the one and only ASAN. Good morning, ASAN. Morning, Howard. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Melting in the heat yeah. still. Um, but you weren't but- expecting this, were you? Definitely not. I I packed lots of sweaters and lots of jeans, and <laughs> so more or less had to go out and buy a bunch of summer clothes the other day because yeah, I just had nothing practical for this heat. I know, ridiculous. So. Maybe this is the norm now, anyways, for the next fifty years. So. But, All hail global warming. Yeah, to be honest, I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> just want it to rain again. <laughs> I know where I stand. Go on. Uh, Let's crack on. I've got an opening question because it's a topic that came up this week in the World Cup. Uh, It's my question. Is deciding groups on fair play or rankings in groups on fair play the best way to decide such things? Uh, Came into play. Obviously, it's not the first factor in deciding a group. If you finish even on points, it's obviously goal difference, goal scored and so on first. But then after that, it's fair play, number of bookings and sending off. And this week, Senegal were the unlucky team to fall foul of this rule, going out because they'd had more bookings than the team above them, which I assume was Japan. Uh, Your feelings on whether this is the right way to go about such things? Mm, I mean, I'm probably a little bit biased because I wanted to see Senegal go through. I'd enjoyed watching them play. I certainly think... Over the three games, they played much better than Japan did. Um, so because of that, I sort of looked at the last 20 minutes of that um, Japan-Poland game and just thought it was a bit of a disgrace and, and kind of ended up thinking, I don't know what the answer is to how we decide these things, but this can't be the answer because this is exactly what I think they were trying to avoid. They were trying to avoid a situation where teams literally stop playing because they know if the status quo remains for another 30 or 40 minutes that they'll go through. And that's exactly what's ended up happening. And actually it felt even more pronounced in a way because the Japanese players effectively didn't want to make a tackle because they didn't want to run the risk of picking up any kind of booking. So, yeah, I mean, from, from where I was sat, it definitely felt... You know, when the tournament started and I sort of read that, that it would be, you know, fair play would would end up being a deciding factor. Uh, I thought, okay, you know, we'll, that'll be interesting. I, I, I didn't instinctively see a massive problem with it. Um, but I think it's like a lot of these things. You can't really know how it works until you actually see it in action. Yeah. And having seen it from that point of view, it just felt so terribly unfair on, on Senegal. Um, yeah, to, oh. so that it just... Go on, yeah. what are you going to say? Well, yeah, it, it is unfair, but if you can't think of a better reason, then we have to have something, don't we? We can't have a playoff. We can't... I mean, in Italian 90, it wasn't to go through. This was just first and second. I think they drew lots for uh, Ireland and Holland. Actually, it's for second and third, but Holland still went through. Netherlands, sorry, on their best third place or something. So they both went through anyway, but that was done by lots. Uh, this all goes back to the disgrace of Gijon, I think it was called, where Austria and West Germany played out a game in 82, knowing they'd both go through if they drew. 
And that's, I think, after that is when they start doing the last round games simultaneously. They didn't used mm. to. But I don't, to be honest, if we say it's unfair, we have to, do we not have to have a Beth, a solution to the problem? There's, there's not really anything out there. And to be honest, Japan were taking a risk doing what they were doing because they weren't guaranteed of going through. They were guaranteed of going through as the, as the scores stood at that time. But it just took one goal in the other game for them to have been, for that to have totally backfired. So Very true. It's they a very weren't valid point, totally right? guaranteed. They took a risk in such that, well, we'll just take a risk that uh, Columbia hold on to that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't, it's, it's like anything, like penalty shootouts in doing the game, you know, to decide a game. It's not totally fair, but I don't think there is a totally fair way to do this. I think you make a very valid point there, to be honest with you, Howard. I, I kind of hadn't really looked at it from that point of view, but I suppose I should do that really if Senegal, you know, for example, if the penalty had stood and they'd ended up scoring, then it would have been a very different situation for for Japan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is it is hard. I guess that I just... Anything that contributes to a team effectively stopping playing for 20 minutes, half an hour, mm. or two teams kind of behaving in that manner, I don't know, it, it somehow feels uncomfortable for me. I mean, it sounds crazy, but in a way, I'd almost rather go back to them drawing lots because at least then everybody knows that, you know, the 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 only result that will matter will be the score and then... If you can't score, it's just being pulled out of a hat as opposed to a situation where Japan feel like they can do nothing for 20 minutes and just because they won't pick up any yellow cards, they'll they'll go through. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty in finding a better solution is perfectly uh, shown, I think, by some of the ridiculous suggestions by... And I know it's Richard Keyes that I'm starting with here, so there's obviously a caveat because it's him coming out with a view, so... There's a fair chance it's going to be drivel anyway. Uh, but, you know, some of the, the other ways... That, I mean, he suggested it should go on shots, number of shots or corners or something. And then people replied, well, obviously, if that was criteria, you know, let's rewind to that last 20 minutes. Instead of just passing it around the back, Japan, if they were behind on shots, we'd just start taking pot shots from all over the pitch just to try and catch up. And what counts as a shot anyway? Yeah, they'd be shooting from the halfway line, and that would become a farce. And Glenn Hoddle on the commentary last night was just unbelievable. It should, you know, it should go off. England should be above in the table because it, you know, when they were drawing, because they've had a bigger victory, six-one. Failing to comprehend how goal difference does actually deal with that situation because Belgium won, you know, their second game by more than England's. Hence, why it was even. Now it just. No one's coming out with any serious... He's a very simple man, is Glenn Oddle. I mean, English would go through because they won a game by five goals and Belgium hadn't done that. It was one of the most stupid arguments I've ever heard. Uh, but they won the other game by more. You yeah, know, and England only won it with a last-minute winner, so you can't just ignore certain games. Uh, yeah, it's not an easy one to do, but uh, FIFA, despite the fact that all crooks do... Lo- have this big thing about fair play, don't they? So it's no surprise that they've gone down this route. So it is what it is. I guess we're stuck with it. And it's unlikely, you know, it's not going to be used. It shouldn't occur that much. But in the 
Group 3 games, there were a lot of games where teams were literally locked on points and goal difference, you know, with just an hour, half an hour to go. So it's a bit of a freak occurrence, I think. So Anyway, we shall move on to England-Belgium. That absolutely one of the... Before we... Before we do that, I've got a question for I'm you. I'm happy to be put off discussing England Belgium, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that I know that it's in your agenda a little bit later, but uh, Nick Macon asked it me as a uh, an opening question. Um and basically it was about um David Maddox's tweet about Trent Alexander-Arnold yeah. versus um Kieran Trippier. Now my question for you is is kind of related to that, but it's a little bit more general in that do you think that that journalists who are, you know, who cover a certain team or have to deal with a certain club regularly, do you think it's kind of acceptable that they do become a little bit biased in their in their reflection? So, for example, would it be normal for us to expect Stan, uh, Sam Lee to stick up for a City player uh, or to suggest a City player should play because he covers City? Or do you think that they should try and remain as unbiased as possible and therefore David Maddox's tweet was just a joke? That's tough. No, I expect... A, well, there's there's levels of bias, isn't there? And, yeah, I, I expect... You know, I mean, Stuart Brennan will be protective of City in the same way that Samuel Lockhurst will be protective of United, though even more so. And it does go... Not them specifically, but talking generally... Uh, it does go too far sometimes, but what David Maddox doing? He's not a little bit of bias towards his club. It's it's the Liverpool cult behaviour all over again. I mean, just look, I discovered him on Twitter a few weeks ago. Just look at his tweets; they're an utter embarrassment. I mean, it's drivel. It's just constant. Why is Firmino not on the pitch? Why? 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 Blah blah blah. Trent Alexander Arnold. Why is he not? On the, you know, he's brilliant. This is what future. It's just. It's literally like, you know, Big Brother just with a loud hailer just, you know, dictating to the people, just dripping into your into your mind. It's this is not proper journalism. It's it's rubbish. I mean I don't read his articles, I don't know if they're exactly the same. But if you're covering football for a region, then there has to be some impartiality in there. You have to report the good and the bad and not just be a cheerleader for a set of footballers. Uh, so look, I'm going to read yeah, out. Yeah, I do. I, ca- I can accept some bias. It's understandable. They work with the club. They go to the club. They will be a bit protective, but there's got to be a line. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, there's just mm. what is the point of him producing uh, any copy whatsoever? Yeah. I, I'm just going to read out the tweet, which is, no, it's harsh on Trippier, but Trent better suited to this England formation. Most key passes and crosses for the team won't be exposed defensively with three centre-halves, moves better into midfield, and don't forget, plays next to Hendo at LFC. Um, now, I mean, I was a bit critical of, of, of Trippier uh, after the first game, and I did suggest at the time that Trent should start over him and I spoke to Sam Lee earlier and, and we'll hear in a, in, a, in a short while what his thoughts are on, on who should start out of those two um, but I think the thing for me more than anything else is okay you can you can kind of look at it subjectively and go well I think Alexander-Arnold is a little bit better suited to 
to playing in this system than Trippier. But it's a bit OTT the way that he's kind of gone in for the most key passes, most crosses for the team, won't be exposed defensively with three centre halves. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. We played a dead rubber, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, it's not like he was up against Hazard and Lukaku. He was up against Batshuayi and uh, I don't even remember who they had playing on that side. Yeah. Um, well, Nasser Chadley, I Hazard, think. Hazard Light they had, obviously. Oh, that's the right. They had, the they had the man himself, Januza, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. So yeah, so um and just in terms of whether these journalists should have bias or shouldn't have bias. I mean, I think it's natural to have some bias, but I think like you say, um and I know I follow Sam Lee. Sam Lee has never come across as a cheerleader. I've never seen Sam get, you know, do tweet something cringy about City either yeah. during a game or after a game, and maybe it's because, you know, he grew up a United fan, but I think that some of the stuff, like you're right, David Maddock in particular, his timeline just feels like uh, could be the Anfield rap. You, if it was, the, if, if you replace David Maddock mirror with the Anfield rap, you'd still cringe a bit and go proper OTT. That mm. is. Um, so yeah, I, I would uh, I would completely go along with you there. I'm sorry, I, I hijacked your hosting duties, Howard. Sorry, you can immediately go back to hosting now. <laughs> Well, there's no point off. We're looking at England versus Belgium. So, and, and the argument that was all over Twitter uh, all week, and England did it, Belgium did it. So I'll get straight to it. Were England right to rest players? Uh, can you engineer a route through a cup competition? Should you always play to win? Is this momentum thing a load of rubbish? Or have we lost it now because he's put a reserve side out and it lost to another side that wasn't trying to win anyway? Uh, where do you stand on all this? Mm, well, I'll be honest. I wanted us to win the group because I feel that it's kind of presumptuous to, to think that you'll get past Colombia. I think that Japan, for me would have been um, a slightly less challenging route to the quarterfinal. Uh, so I would have picked a stronger side. I think he probably should have picked a slightly stronger side um, because I think in the end, the performance was disjointed. Uh, and also, I mean, I, I guess that, the way that we idealize these situations is we go, right, you've qualified, you've got one game left. What you do is you play the reserves and they fight it out for a starting spot in that first knockout game. Mm. So on in theory, what should happen is all those lads should go out last night going, this isn't a dead rubber for us. Yeah, we have to play at our level best because we want to force our way into the reckoning. I think, unfortunately, for both teams... Uh, and, and maybe it's just a, a psychological thing that footballers simply can't change, that in a situation like that, you just can't play at 110% or 100%. Yeah. And if you're not playing at 100%, then, you know, even if you're at 85, 90, it's, yeah, the, the drop-off can be very, very visible. So, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about doing the wrong thing or the right thing. I think that I know for myself that whatever would have happened, had we topped the group or uh, as we have finished second, I will find a way to spin it positively. Um, 
And yeah, had we topped the group, I'd be going, I really fancy us against Japan. I really do. And I think that if we get through that tie and we play well, then bring on Brazil. Why not? Um, the flip side of that is now that I know that we've got Colombia and then after that we've got Sweden or Switzerland, I kind of look at it and I go, well, England, Colombia for me is 50-50, but 50-50 is not a bad, um, I'll take that in the in the round of 16. Uh, and I think that we can, I think if, if we show maturity, because that's the thing with Colombia, I think they'll be streetwise, you know, and, and they will play on the counter-attack and they will look to try and expose England, England's weaknesses whilst being very, very organised and, and playing quite deep. Um, and I think that if we remain patient and we're not naive and defensively we don't, there's no uh, there's no defensive absolute aberrations, then, then I think we can get through it. And I think if we do get past Colombia, then, wow, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting quarter-final against... Mm. Switzerland or Sweden so 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 yeah so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I didn't really get involved in the Twitter debate or any of the debates because I had a personal opinion about what I would have done but the fact is he didn't do that we ended up finishing second which going into the game you almost felt like both managers were kind of implying that it would be better to finish second so yeah I don't know I've got that shrugging shoulder emoji right now going on in real life because I'm I don't know what the answer is other than I'm happy I would have been happy if we'd have topped the group and I'm happy that we've we've finished second did the debate bother you on Twitter Howard bother me no I just it went on for too long well basically uh, it was debate part of a debate with Michael Cox you know Zono marking on mm. uh, I agree with a lot of what Michael says but it can be quite abrasive with people who I don't agree with this view of things, but we were totally the same view yesterday. It's nothing to do with arrogance about trying to finish second, and no one has said. Ken earlier, the you know second captain's podcast, have said it right. So having to go get uh, how what Gary Neville said after the match. Gary Neville said nothing. Oh, it might be before the match. Sorry, he said nothing wrong. He said, "Look, we're not. I'm not saying we're going to beat Japan, or you know." going to beat Colombia or going to beat Switzerland but just look at the probability it's easier <laughs> it's a better route you've got more likely to get further if you play lesser teams I'll put them mm. in speech marks because some of the lesser teams are playing some of the better football uh, and Mike, you know, Michael Cox was making this and people just would not understand just not understand the argument it's simple it's probability and maths in a way it's nothing to do with anything else England have a better chance of winning the World Cup if we finished second. And that's just the way it is. Uh, we could lose to Colombia, we could lose to Sweden, we could lose to Switzerland. No one's saying that our name's on the cup. Well, not many anyway. Uh, but it just makes sense to go down this route. That's how, you know, I had, the worst phrase in football is doesn't matter who you get. Yeah, you've got to beat the best teams to win a cup competition. It's absolute rubbish. You don't have to beat the best team whatsoever. Uh, I mean, even when City won it in 2011, we had a pretty easy run all the way to United in the semi-finals. And then we got Stoke in the final. Now, obviously, we could have come up against harder teams and won that year anyway, but it's less likely. If we got Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal in that cup run, 
were much less likely to have won the cup. So I just find it strange. Obviously, there's talk of momentum, and I don't know if we've lost momentum, but it was a different team. You know, if if they put the first team out and they'd lost, then you know, or they weren't trying, or they were trying to avoid injuries, then fair enough. But it was a different team, so the team will be changed completely again for the next match. So I don't think there's a loss of momentum. Yeah. I've gone, okay. on, I've gone on way too long there. No, no, not at all. I was going to ask you about the momentum thing because that's the only thing that I didn't really cover. And I do think that, you know, it's it's an interesting debate, that one, about whether the, as a side you do lose momentum when you rotate like that in the last group game. I'm not sure that I totally agree with it. I, I'd kind of go along with you that it was a completely different set of players. The the quote-unquote first team will be very well rested as, a, as the flip side of that going into... Uh, going into the game against Colombia, whereas Colombia had to pick their very strongest side for their final group game. Yeah. And, you know, up to seven games, resting players is surely just as has just as big a factor as uh, momentum. So, yeah. But, yeah, we shall see. Obviously, if they lose to Colombia, everyone, you know, the, the knives will really be out because they engineered this route. But that doesn't mean to say that, the you know, it would have been any different either way, so... Uh, yeah, Sweden or Switzerland, tough game, but it's still better than Brazil. So I don't know. We'll, we'll come back to England, Colombia. You know, as we look forward, we'll come back to that definitely uh, at the end of this podcast. So you know, we'll have a quick look at all the, the knockout ties. Uh, with that in mind, scratch team. You know, pretty much. I don't know two first teamers or two that have played regularly. Stones, obviously, goalkeeper, but otherwise a lot of changes there. What were your thoughts on the performance? Was it just utterly irrelevant? And was it was it because of the lesser lesser players, so to speak, or was it that intensity that you cannot, unless there's something big riding the game, you just cannot uh, play with that intensity? I think there was. A, I think there was a real lack of intensity in the game. Um, I didn't think that. The, I, I didn't think the performance was quite as bad as uh, I didn't think it was quite as irrelevant as a lot of people made out in that, you know, I think that the players who did come in didn't look terribly out of place. I, I think that, you know, you, you kind of you look at the way that the first team for England perform and then you look at the way that those lads performed last night and they weren't a million, million miles away. I mean, there was certainly a lack of of quality in the final third but there were some things that I thought that we did a little bit better last night as well so and I think for Gareth Southgate I think it will have been instructive I think it will be instructive in terms of you know he might pick up an injury somewhere in the squad and he needs to look at those players and know which one of them can come in and, and step in and perform and you know I think that the when we talk about, well, it's a dead rubber and, and, and all that sort of stuff, that's true. But at the same time, for those players who do come in, um, it's not necessarily a case of, even if you don't get behind the idea that they have to play really, really well to force their way in at the side, they at the very least need to play at enough of a level that they give Southgate the confidence going into the knockout stages that, you know, if he needs to make a substitution, if there is an injury, that those players can step in. Um, so... In general, I didn't find it quite as appalling uh, as some other people did. Mm. Um, but with that having been said, it was obvious that it wasn't overly competitive. Yeah. 
look at a, f- <coughs> a few players. I've not put this in the notes, so springing on you. Sure. Uh, is Vardy just not going to work in this England team? I mean, he's a player who needs space, and it kind of suits a counter-attack, something to run into, uh, but not really the England way. And he's, he's struggled for England, what limited opportunities he's had. Mm, I mean, it's... I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if last night's performance is one that you can really judge him on, because I actually think that the decision to play Vardy and Rashford together was that was the one part of the pitch that actually I looked at it from from the first minute and went, that's just not going to work. And that's just a case of you want to rest your two forwards that you're definitely going to play. So therefore, mm-hmm. you're playing your two reserve forwards in this game because Vardy and Rashford were both running after the same ball over and over and over again, which meant that the distance, the gap between the midfield and those two was enormous, which meant that the only ball that we could play was the ball over the top, which kind of made us look a bit more route one than than we should have looked. Um, and I think that, I mean, I guess that you'll you'll ask me about Rashford a little bit later, but I think that from Vardy's perspective, if I was Vardy, I'd have been extremely frustrated because I suspect that Rashford's remit was not to do exactly what Vardy did every single time um, England looked to attack, but to actually drop a little bit deeper or to drop wide to try and link the play. And I thought he did that really, really, really poorly. Um, but just to go back to, to to Vardy, I mean, he's just not world class. Do you know what I mean? He's a, he's a he's a world class finisher, but he's not a world class footballer. Um, could he be useful uh, in the latter stages of the World Cup? I don't know. You know, maybe against a side who have got tons and tons and tons of the ball, yeah. um, his pace could be useful. Um, maybe if we need a goal with ten minutes to go, is you you might throw him on, but. You know, he's not he's not world class. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But I'm he's better than Welbeck, for example. Um, and I don't know what the other options below Welbeck would be for that position. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about Rashford now. Then does that end the Sterling Rashford debate? Hundred percent. I think he showed. Uh, I think he showed his lack of maturity, his lack of uh, game time in the season just gone. Uh, the fact that he might be able to strike a ball from from 40 yards out and 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 loop it into the top corner but his all-round play just isn't at sterling's level his intel his tactical awareness his intelligence his you know his passing and movement just yeah i mean he's just he's he's a he's a very different player to to raz in that i think that he probably is a number 9 whereas raz probably isn't a number 9 um but in that system he he, he just looked he looked, I, maybe I'm being harsh, but he looked out of his depth, to be honest. I, I don't remember him doing anything over the course of 90 minutes other than missing that chance. Um, and really, if Sterling misses that chance, it's probably the back page of all the papers today. Yeah. Um, so just on that basis alone, uh, I thought Gashford was gash. <laughs> Apologies for my language there. <laughs> no need to apologise. <laughs> uh Let's look at the... I mean, nothing to add there. Completely agree. It's just a clamour for him to be in. It's just, you know, be careful what you wish for, I think. I think totally. I think this match, even though the intensity was down, showed that across quite a few positions in the team. Totally. Uh, talking of which, the full-backs. Did Rose do himself any favours? 
did Trent Alexander Arnold play like uh, as we were led to believe on Twitter a mix between Beckenbauer, Bobby Moore, and a bit of Cruyff all thrown into one? <laughs> or, um, or are we are we now you know we're now stuck with Young and uh, Trippier on the right? Well, uh, I certainly think I think that one of the things that particularly in the first half was a standout was by having Danny Rose on the left, you had an attacking option on the left touchline and his willingness to run in behind and his crossing make him a much bigger threat than Ashley Young. And I'm not just saying this because I can't be doing with Ashley Young. I, I think Danny Rose comfortably did enough last night, even taking into account the fact that Janazai absolutely skins him for that goal. I think he's comfortably done enough to get in ahead of Ashley Young in the game against Colombia. Right. What do you think before we talk about Trippier and Trent Alexander? Uh, I don't think I think he did all right, but I just don't. I don't think he is getting in. Don't think he's. I just think he's a bit rusty still, and he's not putting in the performances. I think we both agree that you know playing well though should be in that you know should have that berth in the team. Just no two ways about it. And it should be a left footer, uh, but yeah, he wasn't bad. But I just don't think he, I don't think he'll have changed Southgate's mind for the next game. I don't think he'll go back to Young there as the wise old head on the team, bizarrely in the team. Mm. Uh, I don't think he's won his place back, but you just we don't know, do we? Yeah, he's not not quite putting the performances in to win it back yet. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, what what about the other? On the other wing, so to speak. Um, Trippier. Well, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, and I'll say one thing, put loads of crosses in, apparently. Well, they were terrible. I don't know why Why he was on set-piece duty, for starters. I asked that same question. Because the, the quality was appalling. It's like, when I mean, you used to have Kane taking corners. It, it made no sense. Uh, and yeah, he did find generally Alexander-Arnold, but... He did plenty of things, you know. As I say, set-piece delivery was awful. Uh, and Trippier's stats are superb. So to say that he should be pushed out of the team is, for me, ridiculous. Mm. Well, I mean, ridiculous. I don't know about ridiculous. I don't think that Trent was head and shoulders better than... Uh, um, yeah, I don't think he was head and shoulders better than, than Trippier was. But I certainly think that he he did okay. I thought he did okay. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I don't think that either player has looked like this is my position and and, and I'm amazing in it. I think that they're, I don't want to say they're much of a muchness. I think Trippier's experience will probably tip it over the edge for him. Um, but I can certainly see some merit in Trent Alexander-Arnold Um I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go to the uh, to the David Maddock at the mirror level of uh, of praise, but I certainly think that he that he did okay. Of, uh, to be honest, of all the of all the positions in the in the side, I've kind of felt like the um, it's the two wing back positions that potentially have been up for grabs since the tournament has started, and I sort of still feel like that in the sense that. I guess, like you say, that Rose does look rusty, um, so there probably is an argument for Ashley Young. Uh, 
I think that Trippier has done well, but I do think that Trent Alexander-Arnold is maybe a little bit pacier, a little bit more dynamic, um, even if Trippier might be defensively a little bit stronger. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my vibe on the uh, on the fullback situation. Do you think anybody? Do you, do you think there's anybody who's who's maybe made a case to to start next week? Uh, no, to be honest. I mean, it's hard. I've seen this with City at club level. You change a whole team, you know, for a match, say a League Cup match or a dead rubber of any sort, and you, everyone gets dragged down together. You see a, a lesser performance, but I don't really think anyone in that team said to me, I, you know, I should be ahead of the players that were picked for the first two games. I mean, Dyer lived up to his name. I'm not a big fan of his, but I think Henderson's got that spot. They did play a lot together in, or quite a few games in qualifying. You know, both of them were on the pitch, but I think that's a bit too defensive for how England will set up in the future, uh, especially with the back three. Uh, I, I think the full-backs, you know, as you we've discussed Rose, maybe that's the only one, but obviously Vardy, the likes of Vardy, Rashford, are not getting starts. Phil Jones obviously isn't. Uh, and I don't think, you know, Cahill, neither. So, no, I don't think anyone's really screamed uh, pick me for the next match. So, uh, do you agree? Do you anyone stand out for you? Or Well, I think I think the only question mark, as I said, is over the two, the two wing-back positions. So, that's the only position within which I can see a situation where potentially... Yeah. Um, he he makes a change. I also think, just very briefly, um, I don't think that... I think Loftus-Cheek, after a great cameo when he came on in the first game, I don't think that he's done quite yeah. enough to dislodge Ali if Ali is fit come the Columbia game. Yeah, I think he's back in training. So, yeah, I think he'll be back to the original team for the next game. Okay, well, let's move on from what was really an une- uneventful game. Uh, earlier, Asan was... Had a little chat with Sam Lee over in Russia, uh, looking at all things World Cup. So let's have a listen to that right now. Mr. Sam Lee from St. Petersburg. How are you, Sam? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, mate. Everything all right with you? Yep. Very good. Very good. We're melting in the heat here in Manchester. But other than that, we're uh, we're very good. Um, so England played last night. I'm going to get straight into it. My first question really is, were you surprised by the number of changes that Gareth Southgate made to the side? Uh, no, probably not surprised. I think it's you know it's a good opportunity. If City were playing, you know, four or five games in just over two weeks, we'd probably be saying, "All oh, right, he needs to rest Silver, he needs to rest De Bruyne." Uh, so if you get a chance to make what, eight or nine changes ahead of you know the, the biggest game, I suppose you know fair play, you've got to do it really. It would have made you know it, it would have been good. I suppose it was probably fifty percent of the people listening to this would think it was it would have been great if England had to play the best team and won three 0 and you know carried on the momentum. But at the same time, there's there's probably a more pragmatic side that thinks well make, make a few changes and hopefully have everyone fresh for well now it's going to be Colombia. Mm. You don't think that um, so in a way I guess that you, you're implying that it didn't really matter whether we finish first or second in that respect. No, I think it, I think it does matter. Um, you know, the, and the, there's pros and cons to, to both sides of it. Uh, it's, it's a really boring debate. I've got to say, I'm following it on, on Twitter. Well, I'm not back in England where it would be even a bit, well, a bit more pronounced. 
even um, more tedious. Yeah, because I mean, there's there's just two sides of it, really. You know, I, and I can't really make my mind upon it. You know, I, I would like, I would like to see England play Brazil in a quarter final. I think that would be great. Um, but that's from like a spectator point of view. I want to see England in a proper game at a World Cup. But then, decent chance they'll lose that, and that'll be it. But now you've got a proper game against Colombia, albeit not as high profile. It's also winnable, not easy, but winnable. And then you've got a definitely winnable game against Sweden or Switzerland, and then it's the semi-final. So I, I'm torn. You know, I, I, I would like to see, I would like to see it, it both ways. I'd like to mm. see England beat Japan and then play Brazil and have a good game. And but at the same time, I'd, I'd like to see England maybe get to a semi-final and you know have two high-tension games before they get there. So honestly, I, I don't know. Um, obviously, on Twitter, it's one. You know, there's there's a group of people who are so far convinced about one side, so far convinced about the other side, but there's just there's, there's pros and cons to it I, I can't make my mind up really but I, probably in the end I think finishing second is better it's just how, how they deal with it okay um, just in terms of the players that were drafted in last night who caught your eye or who stood out and who disappointed I like the look of Alexander Arnold um, just in terms of like positivity and most of his deliveries I know some went behind but you know just, you don't see many people put in free kicks and corners like that um, in terms of disappointment, I think I think the whole the whole thing was disappointing. Really, it was just it was just a disappointing game overall. I, I, there wasn't really anybody who I could pinpoint and say they were terrible. Um, overall, it was just it was just the general approach again. You know, we talked about the the Balagay tweet last time, and I tweeted about it again. You know, England. There just seems to be this this thing where they don't get into positions on the edge of the box. They're, it's just over the top or down the wings. And when it's down the wings, there's nothing else. It, it doesn't get worked inside. It just goes into the box. And if obviously if it's over the top, then it's just looking for runners. And I think it's a bit one-dimensional. So I'd like to see a bit more on that front. And I mean, I could say mm. it was disappointing to see like Loftus-Cheek or Rashford or whatever, but they didn't really get the balls in those areas where you'd like to think that in the next game, Sterling, Lingard and Ali will get them in those areas. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of how this has unfolded then, England play Colombia in the next round. What's your take on Colombia's World Cup so far? And also, what kind of opposition will they be for example do you think they'll be a technical side do you think they'll be more of a physical side do you think they'll play on the counter or do you think they'll fancy themselves to actually come out and play football against England uh, yeah I mean, it, I mean it's difficult to know because obviously they lost the first game but they were down to 10 men from about 4 minutes in and then they looked really good against Poland but Poland weren't really very good at all um, and yeah there were some goals on the, on the break there and then yesterday I watched the game against Senegal and they weren't particularly good there. They were just solid, quite uninspiring really. And they um, just got a goal from a corner. So the, th the thing with Colombia is when they're on it and they've got they've got the star men behind Falcao buzzing away, you know, they're really difficult to live with. But we only really saw that in flashes against Poland, who again aren't very good. And that was with Hamez playing well and he might be injured. It certainly sounds like he and it looks like he might be injured. So that's a big blow for them as well. And then you've got Quintero, who's a bit of a maverick. You know, he could really turn it on or it could be quite anonymous. And Quadrado could be difficult. Um, you know, maybe we'll see a problem with Ashley Young as a, as a left-back who has to do a bit of, you know, stand-up defending. Um, and then you've, you've got Falcao, who is a handful. But if he's got no service, you should be able to 
to dictate him. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what to expect, but I mean, Colombia, they are difficult on their day, but I'm not sure how often they'll, they'll have their day at this World Cup. The one thing I would mm. be cautious of is, you know, it's a South American side in a knockout game and they will be up for it. Um, they will be up for, for playing in England. I think they will be physical. They will be well organised and that they'll, I think they, they will try and try and play, but as we've seen so far, I think they've probably had their best, most free-flowing moments on the counter-attack. So, and England will look to to um, have possession in that game, and we'll see. I, I, I'm thinking about how the two teams play, and the amount of times you know England have kind of given the ball away while trying to play out. Um, I can kind of I can see there being some spaces for Colombia to get into, to be honest. So it's definitely going to be difficult, and yeah, maybe I'm expecting Colombia to be solid and probably turn hurt us on the transitions, really. Mm. Um, was there anybody who played last night who you think may get the nod against Colombia? Only maybe, only maybe Danny Rose, but that's because I think I'd, 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 I've said this all along, I'd rather have Danny Rose at left-back than, than Young. So, I mean, that would be it, really. But other than that, not particularly. I'd just go back to the to most of the players or all of the players who started uh, the first game other than Rose. Interesting. Okay. Um, you don't think that he was culpable enough for last night's goal that that might be something that Southgate goes... Yeah, yeah well, well, I mean, he's obviously got Young as first choice, hasn't he? And I mean, that may well not have helped him, but I, I, I just think overall there's, there's a better balance, really. And uh, I don't know, I think he might just be used to... Uh, the kind of winger quadrado is. I mean, I might be talking nonsense there, but I just, I don't know. Maybe I just don't like Young as a left back. Mm. And just in terms of uh, Loftus Cheek, do you think that he's done enough to get in ahead of Deli Ali if Ali is fit? And also, just very briefly, do you have an update on Deli Ali's fitness just in terms of where he's up to? It seems like Ali, you know, he was, he was back in training earlier in the week and I, uh, he seems like he's um, he'd be ready to come back in for the next game, especially though know, it's, it, it's Tuesday. That probably enough rest. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I think I think he'll be back. And then as for whether Loftus Cheeks done enough to get in, I think I think he was good off the bench, and I think we should stick with that. Play Ali. I think Ali's Ali's a better player. Um, and if it's not working, bring on Loftus Cheek, who, like I said, he, he was impressive off the bench against Tunisia. But from the start in the other games, not not so much. I like him as a player. I like I like the idea of him as a player. But at the moment, I I would definitely go for Ali from the start. Okay. Um, just looking ahead to to the rest of the round of sixteen ties. Um, is there any any in particular that has caught your eye? I'll read them out. So it's France, Argentina, Uruguay, Portugal, Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Japan, Sweden, Switzerland, and England, Colombia. So obviously, other than England, Colombia, anything in there that that catches your eye? Any potential upsets or banana skins you see? Uh, well, um, Saturday's Saturday's the big day, isn't it? Uh, France, Argentina was a game I've wanted to see for a while because I've, I've always said if. And to be fair, I would have included Germany in this, but I would have said if, if either of those teams were to play Spain, Brazil or Germany, they'd have got taken apart because they're, because they're not, you know, they've got a lot of good players but not particularly well organised. But if they play each other, it could be really fun and chaotic. And uh-huh. It's just, you know, really difficult to predict a winner. So I'm absolutely delighted that, that they will play each other. And it, it's the first game, so that should, that should kick us off well. Um, so that's, that is the, the standout one by itself. But at the same time, 
in in terms of like a day of drama, we'll have that, and then Uruguay Portugal, which I think could be really horrible going for seventy odd minutes, and I think it could really kick off at the end with you know red cards and VAR and a bit of drama at the end because obviously you've got people like you know Pepe and Ronaldo and Suarez and just two very bitty teams, two very scrappy teams. And also, a lot of those players I've just mentioned, it's probably going to be the last chance at the World Cup. So, you know, Gadeem, you know, they're going to be very desperate, especially especially more desperate to win. And I think it could really descend into a, a bit of a mad game. So, Saturday is, is the big one for me. Um, the other one is just Brazil-Mexico could be interesting. But I'll, I'll, I was obviously, I was hoping for Brazil-Germany. But Do you think that Mexico stand a chance against Brazil? No, I think Brazil are getting it together, aren't they? Um, mm. Not particularly convinced in the first game, but the second game against the second half against Costa Rica, you know, they really turned it on in that second half and found the balance. Um, the other night, not especially, um, they weren't really impressive, but they were still that's still the most impressive result I think that one of the favourites of the, for the tournament has had so far. Um, just you know, just a, a stubborn European side in Serbia. And you know they just they did what they needed to do. The first goal was good. Um, there's, there's still a little bit rough around the edges, but they're certainly the most solid team in it. And again, with Mexico, they, you know, they got taken apart against Sweden. There was there was nothing they could do about it. You know, we got mm. to one nil, and they were like, "Well, we need to get something here." But obviously, in the end, they just went through because because Germany lost. So, I mean, Mexico, I, I do have a, a good chance because their first two games they looked like one of the most solid sides in the tournament. It was a bit alarming how they lost to. To Sweden, and I mean, unless uh, you know, unless Brazil have a, a really weird off day where you know they're in the post and the bar up, that I think I think Brazil should they should win that because Mexico a fine, good they'll give it a, they'll give it a really good go, but I just think Brazil are the most well-rounded team at the moment. Okay, would Brazil be your favourites for the whole tournament then? I'm still kind of holding out hope for Spain. I'm still thinking and hoping that. They, they will get it together, but you know, it, it, it seems like they're making a lot, a lot of changes. You know, they, they need to make changes all over the place. I think that I read something this week that they're, they're considering using Nacho in midfield alongside Busquets to give them a bit more protection. Up, but then I read yesterday it would be Coque instead of um, Thiago, who was in there the other day. So they're, you know, they're making things, making it up as they go along, really. Uh, and I th- the other one yesterday was Asensio in for David Silva, which would make them a bit more of a less like well less like Spain really because you know that they're, they're so typically made up of players like Silva and Isco and Iniesta all combining in those little areas especially you know with Thiago or Coque whoever in the middle to, to go with a bit more natural width it, you know it, it sounds like it makes sense but it doesn't sound very Spain to me so I, I would still like to see it, it come together for Spain but if it doesn't in the next game and they only just go through against Russia, you could you could see Croatia knocking them out if Croatia carry on being this you know solid impressive side as well. So I'm still holding yeah. out hope for Spain. I'm ho- I'm hoping they come together, um, but as it stands today, uh, yeah, Brazil are definitely the they're looking uh, best equipped. But I, okay. I do kind of fancy Uruguay as well. Really? Yeah. Well, they're just so horrible to play against. Mm. Obviously, they haven't conceded yet, but fine. They haven't really played difficult teams, but they're so horrible to play against. They've got, you know, the, the good thing what they've managed is, which Argentina haven't, is they had a kind of golden generation from a few years ago, going back about six or seven years to the Copa America in Argentina, which they won. Uh, but, you know, they had like um, Forlan up front and Aravalo Rios in midfield, and they had the Pereiras at left back and right back. But they've actually managed to 
you know, to overhaul their squad really well. You know, they've got a young, they've got a young core in the midfield. They've got, um, you know, like Guillermo Varela, the first David Moyes signing at United and Lasalle to, um, at the fullbacks. And they, they, they freshened up the squad, but they've still got people like Godin. Obviously, Jimenez has come through and, and improved. Uh, you still got Suarez and Cavani. Like I say, they're, they're so difficult to beat. They're so difficult to play against. You know, Portugal aren't particularly good. So, I mean, it could go it could go down to penalties. It could go down to one nil either way. But I would fancy Uruguay to win that. And then, you know, after that, they'll play Argentina or France. And they, they know how to beat... Um, they know how to beat Argentina. They've been doing it for years in South America. Um, I don't think France are organised enough to to upset them. And then after that, it would be, we're guessing Brazil. And again, they can they can beat Brazil. Mm. because you know they've just got that experience of doing it in South America and then you know, if they do do that they'll be in the final so for 25 to 1 or whatever I'd say I got them out the other day I thought worth a decent bet I suppose Nice um, Hey listen before I let you go it would be remiss of me not to ask you about transfers Yeah um, How are we how are City placed with their business specifically let's talk about Mares because that's the quietest what do you know I think it's only the quietest because his agent's not as chatty as um, <laughs> as uh, Jao Santos. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't know much. There's, I've not had not had much of an update in a week, ten days or so. It's mm. it's haggling over the price. I can't remember who did the story about them about uh, Morris wanting the the release clause or like a, a loyalty bonus. I can't remember who it was who did that, but I seem to remember it being somebody who was fairly reliable and thinking. If, that, if they're saying that, then that's probably the case. Mm. Um, but I, mean, I was thinking yesterday, you know, Rooney's, Rooney's transferred to DC United and he just got signed off yesterday, didn't it? And yep. that had been agreed for ages, hadn't it? Yeah. And, you know, if, if, I'd have, if I'd have been covering Everton or whoever and done that story six weeks ago, yeah, it's all fine, it's done. And then it had gone quiet for six weeks. People would be thinking, well, that was bollocks, wasn't it? And then they only got announced yesterday. But, you know, it, it was done for ages. So, as far as I know, if I'd stick my neck out, I'd say... These deals aren't done, but they're certainly getting there. You know, the, well, Jorginho, as far as I know, that is all agreed. Whatever the holdup is, I don't know, but these things happen. Okay. Um, as for Mares, I, I don't know if it's if it's done or not. Like I say, the agents, the agents not said anything, so you would think that's good because he's not trying to drum up interest from anywhere else or or rush anything. It's just all in hand, I guess. Um, and like I say, whoever reported the thing about the the loyalty bonus he wanted I mean you could see that causing a bit of bad blood and, and holding mm. this thing up but yeah I mean the last time I really heard an update on how it was going was before I came to the World Cup and obviously when we did the story at the start of May they said they hoped to do it before the World Cup but then as it got to about the start of June maybe the end of May it was oh yeah they want them in before July the 9th which is when pre-season starts so if they're not in by July the 9th then we'll maybe start going like what is going on here but I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it makes a difference on after July the first because of financial, you know, financial year, yeah. and they're on a yeah. different set of accounts or whatever. Maybe maybe it's just something like that, or maybe it's just these things that hold up transfers. You know, the, you know, the Mendy one dragged on for so long last year, even though we all knew it was going to happen, and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I've I've definitely seen um, I've seen something uh, from City about. Uh, last summer and a particular transfer not being completed until into July specifically. So it could go into uh, last this year's books yeah. as opposed to last year's books. So I think that in particular 
is a thing whether you complete a transfer in June or July. Yeah. It does make a difference because it, it, it makes a difference in terms of what years accounts it. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you look yeah, at and you look at the numbers, you know, when City have to submit the numbers for last season, which will go up until June 30th, exactly. you know, that will include all of last summer's business and the port. Exactly. And so that's, you know, that's that, that will be a big outlay. And then, and then it would be stupid to, to have those done. And then when they do next year's accounts, there'd be basically no transfers in them at all. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't really match up. It wouldn't. It wouldn't make much sense. Yeah, I suspect that's why Bernardo Silva got done early, so it could could go into previous year's accounts. Yeah, and I suspect that Jorginho and Mares will both get done as soon as first we turn the, to the first of July. I think those deals will get done pretty quickly after that. Just one more I want to ask you about. Um, uh, we've been linked with, uh, is it Rafael Leo from Sporting, the uh, young centre-forward who's 18, 19 years old. I believe that Duncan Castles wrote a story that we've offered him a contract and we've also offered Sporting a transfer fee, even though he's rescinded his contract. Do you know, A, anything about the transfer or B, anything about the player? <laughs> Great. I feel like Gary Lineker on that Des Lynham thing that they talked about <laughs> earlier on, um, only without any answers whatsoever. Um no, not really. Uh, you know what I think about Castles, but he is, yes. he is well connected with with City, and if he says something, then I'll listen to it. Um, I've, you know, I've not even, I've not even asked because I kind of see it as one of well, one one it's opportunistic. You know, people were saying, you know, will City go for William Carvalho now? He's out of contract, and no, I don't think that was ever likely to be the case. But with Leal, um, you know, with it, with it being an eighteen-year-old, and if they can give Sporting a bit of money but not as much as they'd have to I can see it being a good opportunistic thing but I've, I've kind of not broken my balls to find out about it because whenever City sign a player like that I just think not necessarily Girona but you know what I mean something like that they're not, yeah. not going to play in the in the first team uh, but all I can say really in the absolute absence of any knowledge whatsoever is uh, if Castles had said it I'd probably be inclined to go along with it uh, and as, as for knowing anything about him, no, not, uh, nothing, nothing whatsoever. An eighteen-year-old from Portugal is way beyond my remit. Yeah, fair enough. I think the only thing I've seen is I, I read a couple of pieces that were comparing him to Gabi Jesus in terms of you know he'll probably end up being a number nine, but he can play wide from the left. Okay. In terms of his development, he's probably around the stage that Jesus was at when we were looking to sign him. Uh, two summers ago, or whenever it was, two summers ago, wasn't it? That we signed him, and then he didn't join until until Jan until the January. So, yeah, he's kind of that age, that profile from from what I can gather. So, and yeah, like you say, I think with Castles, he, he is close to what goes on in Portugal because he is a Mendes shill. So you know, <laughs> he will know what's exactly what's yeah. happening. So you can. There's probably something in it if, if he's saying it. Awesome. Yeah, and like hey, I say, it's just it. It seems like the kind of player that City would know who he is and if he can come up for a good price you know, you know City are a business totally so totally. if they can get him for a good price and they can own him and if he works out he'll be in the first team in two years if he doesn't they'll sell him on like, which they might be doing with Zinchenko this summer for example that's just how it works mm. oh um, very quickly you, you wrote a story about Angus Gunn potentially heading out the door yeah yeah um, City, uh, City will sign him this summer 15 million with a buyback clause um, yeah, at the moment it's Southampton who were looking at him. I think Leicester as well. Um, yeah, um, as far as I know, it, I mean, it, it sounds like Southampton are are, wor are working on it. Uh, 
I, I mean, I don't know what the situation would be, whether Gunn would go there as a, as a number two, because I think McCarthy's just signed a new contract and they'd have to get rid of Forster. But yeah, from what I've heard, it, it, Southampton are, have had a, a good look at him. And I mean, what I know for sure is City will sign him to somewhere for 15 million. They've kind of agreed that with, with Gunn. So that's, that's going to happen. Uh, or, or will happen if somebody just you know finds the structure of the deal or whatever. So, yeah, okay. as far as I know, Southampton and Leicester are looking, but you know with these things there could always be someone else lurking. And he's a, he's a good prospect, and 15 million isn't much, I suppose, for for a, a goalkeeper you could have for a long time. So, yeah, but yeah, that's it. You know, City are, City are willing to sell him. Uh, okay, but crucially, there'll be the buyback clause, which everyone harps on about whenever City sign a young player. So I suppose they're covered from from that angle as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Hey, Sam, listen, um, thank you very much, as, as always, for, for taking the time to talk to us. Um, be safe in, in, in Russia and St. Petersburg over the weekend, and Cheers. hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you after the, um, after the Columbia game. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. That was Sam Lee having a chat with A-Sam there. Uh, right, shall we move on and look forward? Indeed. Uh, indeedy. Knockout. We're recording this on Friday. Uh, Black Friday because there is no football today. Perhaps a minute's funeral music would be appropriate. Uh, (laughs) If we had a producer, we'd get him to play funeral music. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you could have too much of a good thing though, can't you? Definitely. Uh, But some cracking games coming up. Uh, And it all starts, I think, the afternoon game on the Saturday is France versus Argentina. Uh, Now, this is a tough one. To look at really, I mean, France favourites surely, but both been so underwhelming. France still got through comfortably, but without ever impressing personally. Uh, how do you see this one going? Oh, you want me to predict it? I don't know. I mean, well, I, 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 not I th- not a score as such, but I think it'll. I think it won't be a nice game to watch because no. I think that both sides have been a bit disjointed and have lacked, well, Argentina particularly have lacked any fluidity and, and France uh, have only been fluid in patches. Um, I don't think that if you look, kind of look individually through the sides, even though both the sides have got a lot of attacking quality, I don't think that any of the attacking players so far have, have lit the tournament up. Um, yeah, I mean, I can just see it being actually a bit ugly and a bit of a a nasty game um and in terms of who will get through i think france will will just about have enough attacking quality um to get through because i think that argentina was so lucky so so lucky in that in the final in the final uh, uh match in the groups and even though they were lucky they still looked like a side who almost don't want to be here because of the manager. They just seem yeah. really unmotivated, disorganised. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just it's. It, was, was Messi running that team in the third game? It certainly felt like it. I mean, there is that clip doing the rounds, which for some reason yeah. people think it's, it translates as Sam Pauli asking Messi if it's time to bring Aguero on. Um, and I think some of Sam Pauli's quotes or comments after the game were a little bit weird and cringeworthy in 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 terms of Messi, and you do kind of get the feeling that maybe Messi is is running that team. Um, but I think there's a similar amount of maybe it's not quite as on the surface, 
But I don't think that the French players love Deschamps. I don't think they love playing in the system that that he that he's chosen. I don't think they love the fact that he probably isn't sure of what his best team is right now. Um, so, you know, and 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 French are, are notoriously brittle at the best of times when it comes to discipline and mentality. So, I mean, honestly, like I can see, I can see it being nasty. I can even see one, if not both, teams having a man sent off. Mm. Um, and I think France will just about get through. I think it'll certainly it'll be much more entertaining than the second game on Saturday, which I think will be utter dross, and I probably won't watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think you're right there. It's basically which manager uh, doesn't mess up as much as either one, because it's two of the most underwhelming international managers, I think. Uh, but France's players should just carry them over the line yeah. unless Messi has the game of his life which is saying something uh, because there's not a lot else you know, he might not pick Aguero again Higuain is just I don't think he's scored for Argentina in over two years uh, and has seen as something of a bottler anyway uh, not sure about that but maybe at international level that's fair but yeah I think the players will, will decide this one more than the managers uh, I'm actually supposed to be I'm climbing Snowdon tomorrow morning, so <laughs> I'm wondering if we can get up and down by 3 p.m. Because <laughs> it's very bad timing, sorry, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but with my knees, I'm guessing not, no. And as you have mentioned, the evening game, Uruguay against Portugal. Is this just going to be... I could just see it now, just players falling to the ground for 90 minutes. Totally, mate. Until it's seven aside. Totally, mate. Uh, like, like, like Sam said, that's... Reckon that one's going to penalties. Reckon it's going to be a dross nil nil, and then it's going to penalties. But yeah, I'm just not. I'm not feeling that tie, uh, not at all. Um, but I do kind of. Uh, Sam has kind of taught me around to the idea that Uruguay could be dark horses for the tournament mm. because of yeah, just the quality that they've got up front and their organization and the way they play is just not pleasant to play against. You're not even excited by the attacking uh, no nope. skill on you know nope. because it'll be dominated by yeah shithousery basically, yeah, basically. Is the only way to put it. It's a, it's a, there's a very nice term. I don't think we use it enough on the podcast. Podcast uh, shithousery. Um, definitely, yeah. there'll be a, there'll be too much shithousery on display for me. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the point at which Pepe, someone taps Pepe on the shoulder and he he rolls seventy four times off the pitch. Claiming he's been punched, yeah. It's just, I've, I mean, I've said in a previous pod that it's really starting to annoy me the cheating and play acting in this tournament. Uh, I think this game is the one that's going to be the showcase for all of them, <laughs> which, which could make it great viewing by the end, but it could also make it into an appalling game. And yeah, yeah this could have penalties written all over it. So, unless someone does something stupid. <laughs> and hands the game to another side. So well red cards might decide it as well. So mm. uh yeah, let's move on from that one. Spain against Russia the next day, I assume. Uh did we see Russia unraveling in the third game or a little bit. Was it just moment- adrenaline took them through two games? Is this but again, Spain just not quite there, are they? Is this 
Is walking apart fair or do you see it being closer? I think it'll be closer than people expect. I I don't think that um I don't think Spain have been anywhere near at their best. Uh I think Russia did all right and you know, Russia have have both the home advantage and the uh and the drip doctors, Dr. Kugat type of uh uh alleged we all know. Yeah. We all know what an advantage that gives them. Exactly, the exactly. The alleged advantage that that gives them. <laughs> so I do I do think that that will be a little bit tighter. I, I think that Spain are Spain are the closest in terms of of all the big sides who have underperformed. They feel the closest to clicking, if that makes sense. Like I feel like Spain have shown even though they've underperformed, they've shown enough quality in got enough quality players and they've shown enough quality in the way that they've played that I kind of feel like it could click at any given moment. Um, there is talk of, of David Silva being dropped for Asensio, which I mm. kind of can see why that they might, they might do that. Um, but it will be, it will be tighter. Um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a shock for me if Russia, if Russia put Spain out because of how Spain have performed so far. But then at the same time, it wouldn't be a shock to me if Spain click into gear, score three goals in the first half and look like the team they looked like eight years ago when they won it. Yeah. Just don't think the Russian defence is up to mm. uh, repelling the... Uh, they might for a while, again, adrenaline will carry through some of the match, but I don't think it'll carry through 90 minutes. I think they'll be outpassed in this one. Uh, but we will see. Yeah. Uh, the next game, probably the most least talked about, low-key, underwhelming one. Well, there's two that might fit that. Croatia against Denmark, though. Have you any views on this? Croatia, been good to watch, so... But will they come up against a defensive unit in Denmark? Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably not... It's probably not a gripping tie, but I do think that Croatia are, for me probably the World Cup dark horses. Mm. Um, Sam went with Uruguay. I think for me, if I had to pick a team that's that's probably not being talked about enough as potential winners, then it is the Croatians because I just think that that midfield of um, of Kovacevic, um, Modric and, and I think it's Brozovic is, is excellent. I think that they are technically an incredibly good side. I think they're a threat uh, in the final third. They've got goals in them. I think defensively, they're relatively solid. Um, yeah, I just I really like them, and they're a good balance in terms of age as well. They just they 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 look like a team who are maybe at their peak, um, and therefore I certainly think that they'll comfortably get past Denmark. And uh, yeah, I think they can potentially go a long way in this tournament. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Brazil, Mexico, interesting one. Trying to avoid this side of the draw because Brazil are obviously getting to the quarterfinals. Are we getting a bit ahead of ourselves there? Or again, Mexico, third game, could have gone out with six points, uh, but just about got away with it. What would they? Was that complacency? Do you think? Are they still because they impressed me? First two games really impressed with them, especially against Germany. Obviously, maybe it's been downgraded the win against Germany now because of <laughs> you know how Germany played in the other two games, but. Is this going to be a competitive match? Do you think? I think so. I mean, I I, I think that they're they they'll know each other well, being South American sides. Um, I think that they they will both play, try and play football. 
Um, and because of that, I think it'll be an interesting game. I mean, ultimately, I don't think Mexico are strong enough defensively uh, to keep Brazil out. Um, but I do think Mexico are, are a threat going forward themselves, and I think they can score a goal against Brazil. So it will definitely be an interesting game. Um, I think that we're beginning to see the best of Neymar. That was my next question. And I think I, that will I am, be crucial. I am uh, confused with Neymar, so... But you, go on, you go on first. Well... I think a little bit like Messi, there's so much focus on Neymar and he's such an international star and such a world star that I think coming off the back of an injury, particularly a long-term injury, uh, it, there was maybe a, a higher expectation that, than there should have been at the very, very beginning of the tournament. Um and I know that, you know, he does divide opinion because he does showboat and he is a bit selfish. But he's a, bit. he's a phenomenal player. You just cannot argue with the fact that he's just absolutely phenomenal player. And in that third game, he looks to be getting back to his best. And Neymar at his best can single-handedly win any game of football that he plays in, in the same way that Messi can, in the same way that Ronaldo can. Um, so I think that that bodes really well for Brazil and that doesn't bode well for Mexico. And actually, I think that the two players who Mexico will have to stop to stop Brazil from winning are Neymar and Coutinho. Because I think Coutinho has been Brazil's, probably Brazil's best player of the tournament so far. Um, and I think that because Neymar is is getting somewhere close to his best again, that poses a massive problem for Mexico. But yeah, as I say, I, I do think that Mexico can score a goal against Brazil. Um, so it will be it will be interesting. Jesus has he been hampered by that selfishness of Neymar? He doesn't seem to want to pass to, or is he just not playing that well? I just no goals in the group stages. I don't think he's been I have amazing. To see, does Firmino bring that front line? together more no because I don't think that uh, Tite 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 the coach um, I think he knows better than than all of us and if he's picking Jesus ahead of Firmino I suspect it's because Neymar is going to be even less inclined to pass to Firmino than he is to Jesus because him and Jesus are really big mates Um, and I suspect that Neymar privately probably has a say in who plays in that front line alongside him. And if he wants to play alongside Jesus, then that's the way it should be. No, I don't think Gabby's been great in the um, in the group stages. I think the boy needs a long rest. I think after this World Cup, yeah. um, I think he definitely needs a long rest. I think that uh, he's had a lot of pressure on him in big moments of the season for City. He's come straight out of that into the World Cup where there will be a lot of focus and a lot of pressure on him. He's very young. We forget how young he is. We forget the fact that two years ago, you know, he barely had 12 months of, of senior football under his belt and was playing, I believe, at Corinthians or wherever he was. No, sorry, Palmeiras. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's been it's been a very... It's been a very rapid rise for 
for Jesus. And and I've seen City fans be critical of him on, on Twitter in the last week and also towards the end of the season. And I just think it's unnecessary and I think it's unfair. And I think that, you know, if you look at what he does contribute and if you look at the qualities that he does have and you look at his age, all we should be doing is, is supporting him. I mean, of course, if he doesn't play well, you can say he's not played great. But, you know, he's, he's not played great in the group stage. But that that's not a medium-term or a long-term worry. In the short term, I think, hopefully, after the World Cup, he'll get a nice long rest and, and he'll come back firing and focused for City next season. Yeah, I think being made captain and talked of the future of the team is, you know, just getting ahead of, you know, just unnecessary to manage and doesn't help him at the moment. So, yeah. see an honour for him, but just let him play football. And, uh, right, Belgium-Japan, this done deal. Yeah. 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 Easy. Easy for Belgium, that. I think Belgium, not, forget about dark horses. For me, Belgium are the favourites to win the World Cup. I think they look yeah. better than Brazil. I think they look, like they have, they're, they're more balanced in terms of the quality that they've got throughout the side. I think they've got the same kind of team spirit that England have got. In the past, maybe Belgium have had a problem with too many individuals and egos, whereas they seem really together. I think we saw last night that some of their reserves are amazing. Um, yeah, I, I I think that Belgium will win the World Cup. Yeah, I've been quite impressed with Japan. Impressed uh, me more than I thought, and they might have a goal in them, but... Can't see anything but one result. No, I think I think Lukaku will absolutely flat track that Japanese back four. I think all of all of Japan's attack, uh, all of Belgium's attack will, uh, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. It is probably you look at this say not interesting, but the performances suggested otherwise. Sweden versus Switzerland. Mm. It's uh, Switzerland always do. No one pays any attention to Switzerland ever. <laughs> uh, but they do their thing, con- consistently do their thing. They qualify, they win a lot of games, they're well organised. Sweden uh, came through the beat Italy, didn't they, in the playoff? Uh, destroyed Mexico, though there were some freak goals in there. Uh, two, just quietly going about the business. So an interesting game, in a way. I agree. I mean, uh, uh, they're not, Sweden in particular, are not pretty to look at, uh, but they are effective. Um Switzerland have some decent players. Um, I think, obviously, they have Shakiri. Uh, they have that lad, Brie Mbolo, who's very impressive. Um, I think it'll be an interesting game if I had to pick a... I, I don't think it'll be... For, this, for, for, for the spectators, I'm not sure it'll be amazing. But I yeah. do think that... I say that, but then part of me thinks, well, maybe if Sweden go into it thinking, right, it's the knockout, we've got nothing to lose, we really have to have a go here, and Switzerland have a go. It might be more entertaining than we than we expect. Um, don't ask me to pick a winner, because <laughs> I, I I wouldn't like to call it. I think they're slightly different in the way that they play, um, yeah. which will also make it uh, make for an interesting interesting tie. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch this game. Let's put it that way. Uh, that I won't be watching Uruguay Portugal. I know that for a fact. Um, of all the other ones, I probably won't watch Belgium Japan either, just because I think that that's a foregone conclusion. I'll watch all the rest of the ties, and I'll definitely watch this one. Right. And finally, England Colombia. So Colombia looked good in one game, but not really that. I mean, the first game, red card, hard to tell. But the third game, they were 
pretty lucky for me against Senegal. Uh, James Rodriguez went off injured. Don't know how serious that is, but that's a big loss if he's out. Uh, England favourites, or you said earlier 50-50. Yeah. Do you still think it's 50-50? Totally. Yeah. totally. I, I think that um, Colombia will have a lot of nous, a lot of know-how in that side. They'll play deep. They'll be gnarly, you know, They'll look to frustrate England. They'll look to be a massive threat on the break, which they absolutely will be. Um, it's just not a tie that I think England can go into feeling like we're definite favourites here. I think that we have to be, we have to show more maturity. I think I said this to Sam. We have to show more maturity than we've shown in any of the games so far, particularly in terms of being concentrated at the back if we do have more of the ball than Colombia, making sure that they're, you know, the, the for example, Kyle Walker can't be doing things like letting the ball run across his body on the on the edge of the penalty area. Um, you know, there's, there's been Maguire passing the ball square and giving it away. Stuff like that. I, I feel as though Colombia will punish things like that badly. Uh, and I think that they will be solid defensively if I had to make a call I'd say that if England score first then they'll go through um but I think that if Colombia score first England may well have a problem okay uh yeah I mean it's new to I mean England just haven't won <laughs> knockout stage games so who knows what we're going into you know or the the optimism but we have to you know we have to change history because we're just not good at we're good at qualifying a lot of the time Group stages maybe not bad sometimes, but I think it's twelve years since the knockout win. Uh, so, and this will be new you know, to so to all the players. So, mm. yeah, be an interesting game. It's about keeping your nerve, I think, and uh, yeah, and concentration. So, I think the positive thing, Howard, is that you can. Uh, although it's been a long time since we've we've won a knockout tie, it's fair to say in that time. There's been a lot of Germany, Argentina, Portugal with Ronaldo at his absolute peak. Just kind of, you know, moments or or teams that are just really, really, really top. I think that this does present the most presentable opportunity to win a knockout tie in quite some time, even yeah. if it is still finely poised at 50-50 for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. Should be Cracking game anyway. Definitely. I'm really excited. I mean, I just, I've loved this World Cup so far. I really have. And I really like the look of the the vast majority of the knockout ties. And yeah, I'm yeah. just really looking forward to it uh, kicking off again tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. Uh, not much weakness. Yeah, there's nothing that really bores me. It should be very interesting indeed. Just, uh, yeah, it's, it's flown by, hasn't it? So, it definitely uh, yeah, is. looking forward to it all. Right, well, I think we've covered everything there. So, Thank you very much, Jason, for coming onto the podcast. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks to Sam Lee as well for for ringing in from uh, from Saint Petersburg as well. As always, hope he's having a wonderful time. Not jealous in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We've got plenty more coming uh, next week. We we'll do some city related stuff, uh, quiz coming up, and obviously more World Cup analysis. So thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.